it's now my uh, privilege to invite up Andy. Andy's a friend uh, of Mosaic, Andy Kynes, and uh, he's traveled all the way from uh, Chesterfield to be with us today. Um, and I don't know, uh, the thing I love about Andy is the way he shares the message of Jesus. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He's a funny guy. And listen, just relax, and you're going to be in for a real treat, all right? So let's give Andy a real warm round of applause. Yes, thanks, Rich. Uh, yeah, hi, everybody. Um, my name is Andy Kind. I am a uh, professional comedian and a preacher, and I'm not trying to claim that I'm an impressive man. I've been here before. Um, just so I can have an idea, who's, can you put your hands up if you've either seen me speak before or if you haven't? Just give me a, a quick idea. So not all of you then. So um, I'm not an impressive man. 11 years ago, I uh, was comparing a gig down in Cheltenham, and there was this young uh, lad, very nervous lad, uh, who went on, and he was very nervous, he was skittish, he did very badly, and he left the stage, and I said to the comedians next to me, we'll never see him again, he will never do comedy again. His name was and is James Acaster, and he's now one of the best comedians in the entire world. So... Whatever I say today, I don't think that I am right, because I am right and wrong about lots of things. But on my tattoo is an arm, uh, on my arm is a tattoo, and on that tattoo is an arm, and it's an infinite regress. <laughs> on my arm is a tattoo that says uh, Evangelion, which means the good news. It's the first words of Mark's gospel. And as Christians, we like to use the phrase gospel, which means good news. But you know what? It's only good news if the other news out there is bad, or at least not as good. If everyone else has got good news, then Christians are being arrogant, as everyone seems to think that we are. But just a couple of things uh, about me. I live in uh, Chesterfield, and it's so nice to be, to be amongst such normal people. I've had a, an, odd, an odd day. On, on my way here, I hit and killed a rabbit. I know, it's sad, isn't it? Aside from that, it was a pretty standard walk from the train station, but... Um, <laughs> You've got to get yourself in the mood for preaching somehow, haven't you? Do we have any Welsh people in? I love Welsh people. Wales is the most welcoming place in the entire world. Because you, you drive into any town in England and there'll be a sign welcoming you to the town, which is great. Thank you, that's, that's very nice of you. You drive into any town in Wales and they have a sign welcoming you to the town and they put the name of the town in English, but then above that they put the Wi-Fi password and that is, is, really, is really generous. I can wait for some of you to get that, if that would help. No, we're okay. So I'm married. Uh, nice time of year for me at Christmas because I'm married. Uh, I've got uh, a wife, um, and she's called Rebecca. I'm always a bit embarrassed about the nickname I have for her. My pet name for my wife is Bambi, yeah, because she's cute and a bit clumsy, and I want to shoot her mum. So, uh, so they're not here. You're allowed to enjoy this, but it's fine. And then we've got two little girls as well. So that's, that's me. Now, uh, Rich, can you take this stand away from me, please? I don't want it. Also, can you get me a slightly smaller stage for next time? <laughs> Somewhere where I, I've bizarrely got vertigo just by standing on this stage. When I was 22, something happened to me that I wasn't expecting and didn't really want to happen which is that I became a Christian. I started following Jesus, and honestly, part of me was gutted. Because I think I wanted something else to be true. I think I wanted something else about the universe to be true. I wanted a different story to be true. 
Because being a Christian, you know, globally, Christians are the most persecuted people group. Christians are being, there's a chance statistically that a Christian will be killed while I'm talking to you just for being a Christian. But in this country, we're not physically persecuted, we're just scorned. Nobody likes us and they think we're morons. So it's not easy to become a Christian into that environment. Uh, And my friends will say to me, Andy, we like you and the tattoo is very nice, good font, but Christianity is ridiculous. And you know what? When someone tells me that what I believe most in the world is ridiculous, I have to agree. I have to agree, because Christianity is at least superficially ridiculous. I don't know if you've thought about it, those of us who would call ourselves Christians. The idea that God would come to earth in human form, live the perfect life, allow himself to be killed, then three days later rise from the dead, overturning death, so that somehow you and I could have the relationship with him restored that we were always supposed to have. That's not just ridiculous, that's binky bonkers. That is Arkham Asylum insane. Now don't get me wrong, I believe it more than I believe anything else, and my entire life is dedicated towards persuading people that that is the big story the universe is telling. But it doesn't mean I don't think it's crazy. A couple of things to say, though. First of all, for something to be true, I actually don't have to understand it. If I'm saying that something is only true because and when I understand it, what I'm essentially saying is, I'm God. I'm the Lord. Because nothing happens without my know-how and understanding. I am the font of all knowledge. And spoiler alert, I'm not the font of all knowledge. So if something is only true when I understand it, then, then I am God. Something can be true and ridiculous at the same time. Leicester City won the Premiership three years ago. I'm still not quite sure how that happened. I still sometimes check Wikipedia to see if that's what was actually going on. So something can be true and seem ridiculous to me. Second of all, although I do concede, and I really do concede because I really do want to be fair, I'm not interested in any uh, self-aggrandizing, nonchalant Christian bias here. Although I agree that Christianity is at least superficially ridiculous, so is every single other worldview. Every single other worldview is ridiculous. By which I mean, whichever worldview you take, not just religion, but worldview, skepticism, humanism, deism, agnosticism, you will reach a point where it stops making sense to you, where you will no longer be able to process it or comprehend it. Let's, for an example, take the creation of the universe. Every worldview it needs to at some point intersect with and engage with the creation of the universe. Now we've known since the 1960s that the universe almost certainly had a beginning. That's what Big Bang cosmology is. And if that's the case, then science leaves us with two options. Option one, and some of you won't like option one, but it's okay. Stay tuned for option two. Option one is that the universe was created by something or someone outside of itself. Something or someone that would have to be uh, massively powerful, timeless, immaterial, as in not having a physical body. Something or someone we might call God, small g, if you like. Some of you don't like that option, so you have one other option, which is this. The universe created itself out of nothing. And we know from the sound of music that nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. Julie Andrews taught us that, and she's practically perfect in every way. But honestly, those are the two options. Either the universe was created by a God, we're not at Jesus Christ yet, but either the universe was created by a God, or out of nothing, nothing created everything for no purpose. Both of those stories are ridiculous. (laughs) One of them's true. Whether you like it or not, one of those is your origin story for how you got here today. 
And you get to decide which one you think makes more sense. See, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Pick a miracle. Pick a miracle. Choose your weapon, young knight. So I went searching for meaning. What happened? Because if we can agree, if we can agree that everything is at least a bit ridiculous, every big worldview is at least a bit ridiculous, if we can at least call it nil-nil, we are still then left with the bizarre reality that something is true. There is a story out there that makes sense of why we're here. There is an origin story for us. The universe is telling a true story. Your life is a true story. It might not be a very good one, but it is happening. And the question for all of us is, well, who's the author? Who's writing it? What is our origin story? So at the age of 22, just after university, um, having lived an amazing hedonistic life, I absolutely nailed it. You would have been proud of me, some of you. I went searching for meaning, um, as we all do at some point in our lives. And I wasn't sure what I believed about the big story, by which I mean the, the, real, the, the truth of the universe. I wasn't sure what I believed about that. I was agnostic. But I did know that I had my little story. And when I say my little story, I mean the things about me that were definitely true for me and about me. Some people call that my truth, but the stuff that is non-negotiable for me. And my little story was that I, um, I believed in love, not just love, but unconditional love. I didn't want to be rejected because of who I was or what I did. I believed um, that some things were objectively wrong. I knew that abusing a child was always wrong, definitely, and never a matter of opinion. I knew um, that I was wired for things like purpose and freedom and joy and hope. You see, we don't just understand the meaning of these words. We all of us understand and apprehend the sensation that goes along with those things. You and I might find joy in different things and have hope for different things. But hope and joy feel the same for you as they do for me. And these things you see, things like love and purpose and joy, these things are noticeable by their absence as much as by their presence. This is how you know that they're part of your little story. You know that you believe in love when you feel rejected. You know you believe in purpose when your life is going nowhere. You know that you believe in freedom when you feel trapped. Feeling trapped is the absence of feeling free. We don't invent these things. We give them names, but we don't invent them. We trip over them. We stumble across them. We bang into them. These are wired into the universe and wired into us. This is all I mean by little story. I knew other stuff. I knew that when I listen to amazing music like the guys are doing today, it's transcendental. It takes me out of myself towards something bigger. And I knew that death felt unnatural. I knew that it felt unnatural. So I knew all of this. Um, and as I went searching for meaning, as I went searching for a big story to match my little story, because, you know, wherever you live or whenever you have lived, the themes of humanity, we dress differently and we listen to different music, but the themes of humanity have always been the same. The big questions are always origin, purpose, destiny. Every human being who has ever lived has wanted an answer to those questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? These are the big three questions, the major themes of humanity. Origin, purpose, destiny. As I went searching for meaning, searching for a big story that matched my little story, I came to the conclusion, as really frustrating and galling as it was, that there's only actually one story that comes close to making sense of my little story. And that is the story 
of biblical Christianity. We're not talking about religion and Gothic churches. I simply mean the story of God coming to find us when we felt like nothing and offering us everything in him. That's what we're celebrating today. So I came to that conclusion um, that there was only one big story that made sense in my little story. And so I became a Christian. I made a a choice to start following Jesus. And so for the last 15 years, I've been trying to tell people in in, in different ways um, that I think that is the the truth of the universe. But I'm not very good at it, you see. Uh, Statistically, I'm I'm not very good. For instance, if you and I were in a cafe together and I was a Christian and you weren't and I treated you to an eggnog latte, which I'm very happy to do if anyone wants to come. Anyone? No? After the show? No, just one person at the back, a small child. Okay. How old are you? Ten. Well, it's okay. I did pass my DBS. That's fine. 67%. That's a high 2-1 in uh, most universities. So, um, you would say to me at some point, Andy, um, why are you right and I'm wrong? And I, I should say, as I tried to say earlier, I don't think I'm right. I'm right and wrong about lots of things. I was totally wrong about James Acaster. I am right about the fact that nobody likes soup because it's gross and disgusting. No one likes it. Put your hands up if you like soup. Well, I'm wrong about that as well, unfortunately. I don't think I'm right and you're wrong. Because it's not about who's right and who's wrong, it's about what's true. And the truth is independent of how sensitive we are about being right or wrong. So you'd say, okay, fine. Tell me why is Christianity true? And in the past, I would have said things like, I would have got overexcited and said things like, Miracles! Let me tell you. Put your egg no latte down, I need to tell you about miracles. Let me tell you about healings. And don't get me wrong, I pray for people to get healed all the time. I love praying for healing. The Bible tells us that we should pray for healing. Not that everyone will get healed, but that we should pray for everyone to get healed. I see people healed. I was in a a field in Chesterfield, um, conveniently, um, over the summer. And it was on a campsite. And a lady was walking across this campsite. And she fell over. She twisted a knee and she fell. And she was in agony. And she was crying. And she couldn't move it. She couldn't bend it. She couldn't straighten up. She, she couldn't get up on her own. She told me uh, that it happened twice before. And on both occasions, she'd needed to go to hospital with gas and air. And she was out of action for six weeks. So I went over to pray. And I should say, my mind was not on spiritual things. I was considering how feasible it would be to buy an otter. That had been my previously... Honestly, I was thinking whether I should purchase an otter, whether I could and whether I should. Anyway, I went over. I put my hand on her knee and I just said a very simple prayer. I said, in the name of Jesus, knee be healed, all pain go, in the name of Jesus, now, amen. And I felt nothing and experienced nothing. But this lady said that she felt an energy enter her body through her head like a fluid. It passed into her body. It passed all the way through her body, through her knee. It took the pain away. It restored total movement. And she got up on her own perfectly fine. And she was walking around perfectly fine. I've spoken to her several times since. And not only is she still healed, but she is on fire for Jesus because she experienced the power of God. So don't get me wrong. I believe that people get healed. Most of the people I pray for don't get healed. But that's my issue, not God's. I also believe that we can hear... God's voice. I was sitting on a uh, on a train recently. It was on my way to Leeds, actually. I was doing a, a, another gig. And this young lad sat down next to me. Um, white, white lad, 21 years old, maximum 21 years old. And uh, I said a little prayer. I said, God, what have you got for this guy? Is there something I can share with him? And I just heard in my, the thought that dropped into my mind was, his name's Martin. Just tell him that I love him. 
And I started laughing audibly so that this guy looked at me. Because I thought, well, he's not called Martin, is he? He's 21. <laughs> there are no 21-year-olds called Martin. Nobody even likes soup, but there are no 21-year-olds called Martin. He's not called Martin. I've probably been YouTubing clips of Martin Clunes or something like that. And why not? Very underrated actor, if you don't mind me saying. So I said nothing. I didn't say anything. Later on in the journey, this young lad gets his bank card out and his first name's Martin. I thought, oh, no. And it's not a good story. This is a story of personal failure because I said nothing. I was so embarrassed and blown away that I'd heard so clearly and specifically that I didn't say anything. But the point is, I do believe that we can hear God's voice. I do believe that Emmanuel, God, is with us through his word, through his spirit. Not that everything we hear in our mind is from God, because if you wake up in the, in the morning and you look at Facebook before you look at Philippians, not everything you hear in your mind is going to be God's voice. I believe in these things, but I don't preach them to convert people to Christianity. I don't believe that we need those things to convince people that Christianity is true. Because, again, in this coffee in this coffee shop over the eggnog latte, you would say, fine, Andy, these are intriguing stories. I am intrigued and I'm interested. But I'm not changing my entire worldview just because you've claimed to see someone healed or you've heard the word Martin. Like, that's not good enough for me. At that point, I might have said, fine. Well, let's look at the Bible together. I think I can show you that the Bible hasn't been doctored, hasn't been corrupted, that we have, at the very least, a faithful translation of what was written down 2,000 years ago. And I might be moderately successful at that. But again, what you might justifiably say is, OK, Andy, well, fine, thank you. You've helped me to unlearn some stuff there and, and stop believing some lies. But all you have done, the most you have done, Andy, is to show me that 2,000 years ago, a small group of people in the Middle East believed that Jesus was God, and were phenomenally successful at telling the world about it. But it doesn't actually mean that Jesus was God. And you would be justifiable in both of these approaches, because you see, the issue is with me. What I have done in both of those cases is to use something that you don't know about to try and convince you of something else that you don't know about. I've inserted a totally unnecessary middleman. I'm trying to use something that you don't think you've experienced to convince you that something else you don't think you've experienced is somehow the greatest story ever told. And it's not good enough. It's not good enough. And I'm sorry, because Christians do this all the time. And people do become Christians like this. But for lots of you, it's not good enough. And I'm sorry, because we're getting it wrong. However, what about this? Instead of me using wacky stories or evangelical Bible notes, both of which I like and affirm and appreciate, why don't we keep it simple? Why don't we just look at your little story? Why don't we just look at your little story, the stuff you know to be true about yourself, the, sto the stuff that you desire to be true about the universe and hope for your future? And let's simply ask, which big story makes the best sense of your little story? What's your origin story? Let's take the fact that you know you want the questions about origin, purpose, and destiny answered and simply try and find a narrative, a grand narrative, that matches that. So why don't we do that? What is it? Because you see, your, your little story is, is the same as mine. You, you believe in unconditional love. You want to be loved unconditionally. You want to be accepted for who you are. You do know that some things are wrong. One of the great myths of our society, one of the, one of the golden memes we see a lot, 
is that the meaning of life is to give life meaning. I hear this all the time. The meaning of life is to give life meaning. And it sounds brilliant. It sounds amazing. It takes about 10 seconds to disprove it, though, because if the meaning of life is to give life meaning, if life has no objective foundational meaning and we get to create it for ourselves, then a couple of months ago, last month, Rich, I hope you came up on Remembrance Sunday and celebrated Hitler. Because on a godless universe, Hitler didn't do anything wrong. Hitler gave his life meaning. Hitler's one of the most successful members of our species on a godless universe. Because think about it. A small man from Austria captivated the hearts of an entire nation. He took on the greatest powers in the world head to head and nearly won. He nailed it. Hitler didn't do anything wrong. But the problem is that nobody in this room thinks that that's okay. What I've just said is obscene and you know it. And so does everybody that you know. Which should show you that you don't think that the meaning of life is simply to give life meaning. I agree with you that life has meaning, but we don't create it, we discover it. It's already there. It's already there in you. When Hitler exterminated six million Jews, he didn't create meaning, he trampled meaning because he trampled life. And you know that life is inherently valuable. So you know these things. You know that you desire freedom and purpose and joy and, and hope. You know that death is somehow your enemy. So which big story makes the, the best sense of your little story? This is the question I want us to think about just over the last few minutes. You know, is it atheism? Atheism might be true. Of course it might be true. Any of these stories might be true. But atheism is the worst origin story for what you know about yourself. Atheism makes the least sense of what you know and hope and desire. Because if atheism is true, then there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no justice, there is no judgment. There's just survival. Survive as long as you can, as well as you can, however you can. If atheism is true, if, it, if the universe is godless, Hitler didn't do anything wrong. Hitler understood better than you or I do that we are simply protoplasmic sacks of chemicals with a limited shelf life. He nailed it. He did what made him happy. He gave his life meaning. He had one life and he was living it. If atheism is true, then you do have purpose. Your purpose is simply confined to passing on your genes to the next generation. If atheism is true, then you are free. You are free to be a randomly assorted group of molecules and atoms, randomly dancing off against other randomly assorted groups of molecules and atoms until you reach your great reward, which on atheism is extinction. This is the good news of atheism. That whether you die at 92 years of age after a joy-filled life of humanitarian aid work, or you die screaming in pain at nine minutes, your reward is the same. Extinction, obliteration, annihilation. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the universe doesn't love you. The universe doesn't love you. The universe isn't sure why it created itself, let alone why you're here. We are all the gatecrashers at a party who weren't invited, turned up late, and didn't even bring tiramisu. That's us. You know, and if atheism is true, if atheism is true, then death shouldn't feel unnatural because actually not only is death a natural part of life, but it's actually the great hero of your story. You see, you want to believe that love wins. And I do as well. 
and we see it in our society more than anything else. Hashtag love wins. You believe that love should win, but I am really, really sorry. If atheism is true, if there is no God, hashtag death wins. Hashtag death wins every single time. Death is the cowboy riding off into the sunset. Death is the bridegroom waiting for us at the end of the aisle. Death always wins, always. And not only do you not want that to be true, something in you, and it might be buried deep, says no, 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 no. There must be a better story than that. And I've got good news for you, because I think there is. But we're not at the cross of Jesus Christ yet, because... There are other religions. There are other religions. I'm doing this show at the moment called Hidden in Plain Sight, and I was doing this gig in uh, in Bath or Bath. I don't know where you guys are from. And this guy came up to me in the pub afterwards. His name was his name was Henry, but we'll call him Charlie because I want to you know protect his identity. He came up to me, and he said, um, "Mate, I loved your show. You're a funny comedian, but I didn't like the bit at the end where you talked about Jesus being the only way to God. That sounds pretty exclusive." I said, "Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's exclusive." He said, "Well, I'm a practicing Buddhist, and I think there are many ways to God." I said, "That's great. I obviously hope that that's true. Describe this God to me." And he said, "Well, no. He's the things that you talked about. He's unconditional love. He's freedom. He's peace. He's joy." I said, "That's great." I agree, Charlie. I agree that God is all of those things. The problem is, Charlie, you haven't described the God of Buddhism there. You've described Jesus Christ and literally nobody else. Because you see, Buddhism, and Charlie should have known this, Buddhism is an atheistic religion. There is no God in Buddhism. Buddha was a man who lived and died, and he was agnostic. He wasn't sure whether God was real or not. So we cannot just say that every religion has a God of love because on Buddhism there is no God to love you. Charlie said, I told you that sounds exclusive. And I said, Charlie, I'm telling you, I agree. Christianity is exclusive. But we can't just make stuff up. It would be lovely if everyone was saying the same thing, but they're not. In their own words, on their own terms, they're not. All of these Eastern religions that everyone's really into, the really cool stuff, there is no, God's not a person. There is no personal God to love you. I don't love this piano. I like it. It's a great piano, and the guy playing it is amazing. But I don't love it, and neither does he, because it, he can't be in relationship with it. You cannot love outside of personhood and personal relationship. In these Eastern religions, God doesn't love you because he's not personal. You can't know him. He's not knowable. In the Quran, it says, Allah Allah loves not the unbelievers. It's in the text. Allah loves not the unbelievers. If Islam is true, and it might be, if Islam is true and you're not a Muslim, I'm sorry, God doesn't love you, unconditionally or otherwise. We can't just make stuff up. Charlie said, Come on, mate, I think you should have some compassion, by which I think he meant I should just agree that everything was saying the same thing. But I've looked into it, and it's not all saying the same thing. What we're not saying is that Christians are better than other people. Absolutely not. And if you hear Christians saying that, punch them in the face, because they have to forgive you. (laughs) We're not saying that Christians are morally better. we (laughs) We are simply saying that we believe... Christianity is true. All roads don't lead to God. And you know what? You, you wouldn't want all roads to lead to God. 
Because most religions aren't signposted that way. And the God revealed in most religions isn't a God who loves you or even really knows your name. He's just not that into you. Charlie said, I think you should have some compassion. I said, interesting. Do you know the root word of compassion? He said, no, I don't. I said, well, if I may, let me tell you. Compassion comes from two Latin words. And compassion means to suffer with. That's what compassion means, to suffer with. Charlie was telling me to have compassion because it was something that he knew was wired into me to have. But compassion means to suffer with. Do you know how many gods offer to suffer with and for you? One. Do you know how many gods tell you they love you unconditionally no matter what you have done? One. Do you know how many gods tell you that you actually can be free, actually can have peace, actually can experience freedom in the way that you really desire? One. Do you know how many gods tell you you actually can be forgiven so that the stuff that you've done wrong and the stuff that's been done wrong to you doesn't get to define your future? One. Do you know how many gods tell you that you should think that death is unnatural because it wasn't meant to be that way and it won't be that way? In the end, one. And his name's Jesus Christ. It's all the same guy. I said, Charlie, listen, Christianity is exclusive. I'm happy to own that. Christianity is exclusive. It's exclusive because it excludes all the other religions and worldviews where there isn't a God willing to suffer with and for you. Where your cries of pain are either unheard or unheeded. I'll take that kind of exclusivity. And so should you. So should you. You should happily exclude any worldview where the creator of the universe doesn't tell you that you're worth dying for. And there's only one way he does. And you've heard his name. You see, these guys don't preach freedom because they didn't have security. Again, in the Quran... Muhammad said, I don't know what will happen to me. Muhammad wasn't sure. The founder of Islam wasn't sure he'd lived a good enough life to get to heaven. And even if he'd got there, on the Islamic view of heaven, there is no God there. God's not in heaven. Heaven is wine and women, which is brilliant if you're a pirate. If you're a 17th century buccaneer, spot on. What if you're a single mum from Leeds or someone who struggles with alcohol dependency? It might be true, but it's not a story of hope. Gandhi, one of the greatest men who ever lived, one of the greatest men who ever lived, Gandhi said, it's an unbroken torture to me. It's an unbroken torture to me that I do not know my creator. Gandhi was expecting to go through hundreds of extra reincarnations, after which the great reward of Hinduism, Gandhi was a Hindu, is the snuffing out of the candle of desire. That was Gandhi's great reward he was waiting for. The snuffing out of the candle of desire. Blissful extinction, but extinction. Nothingness. And friends, I don't want nothing. I want everything, but I'll take something. And then Jesus comes along in John chapter 8 and says, no, 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 no. It's better than that. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And you might say, well, okay, what's the truth? He says, no, 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 not what, who? He says, I'm the truth. And because I live, you will live also. You see, there's one story out there, one big story that makes sense of your little story. 
And I don't know what Charlie has decided or what you will decide, but I just want to encourage you that we call it the gospel because it is good news. And because nobody else is offering you good news. I never really understood, even way into my Christian life, what the cross was. It just seemed like something that Catholic grandmothers wore around their necks. As I understand it, the cross is the thing that killed Jesus. But it's a stop sign for everything that is trying to kill you. You see, whatever your worldview, whatever you think about the big story, part of your little story is the reality that you know death is your enemy. You know death is your enemy and it's coming for you at some point. But you also know that death has minions. Death has things working for it. Addiction is in the employ of death. Addiction works for death because if addiction goes unchecked, it will kill you. If anxiety and depression go unchecked, it will separate you from society. It will destroy you. It will kill you. If unforgiveness and self-harm go unchecked, they will destroy you. They will kill you. You know death is your enemy. And in the New Testament, Colossians 2.15, which is a letter in the New Testament, there's a verse that says, of Jesus. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What do we mean by powers and authorities? We mean anything dark, anything that's trying to steal your identity and rob you of your joy. It might be addiction, it might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be self-harm. It might be unforgiveness. It might be rage. You know what? These things are real. These things are real. And they don't stop being real. But because of the cross, because of Christmas and Easter, even though these things are still real, they no longer get to win. They no longer get to beat you. They don't get to have the final say. In where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going. Because he does. The cross is the thing that killed Jesus, but it's a stop sign for everything that would seek to kill you. The cross is a cosmic restraining order against the powers of death and destruction. That's why we call it the gospel, you see, because it's good news. And so we just want to offer you today that chance to to say that first yes or that second yes, but just to say yes to the offer of good news in the context that no one else is offering it for you. Knowing that there's one story, one big story that makes sense of your little story. We want to offer you today the chance just to come to the cross. Not because God will be angry if you don't come to the cross, but because every deal that's ever happened happens somewhere. Business deals tend to take place in a boardroom. If you want to buy an otter, you meet them under the railway bridge at midnight. You come alone, you bring the money. I don't want to talk about it. I lost, there's a website. I lost a lot of money. Every deal happens somewhere. And you see, the cross is the only place in the universe where the deal happens where your identity gets given back to you. The cross is the only place in the universe where your true identity gets given back to you. Where the person you know you were born to be receives a great big yes and amen from the God who created you to be that person. That's why we're asking you to come to the cross. Wherever you've been, whatever you've thought so far, 
We're offering you the chance today, and it might not be your day, but why shouldn't it be? To come to the cross, because you're so welcome. Come to the cross if you're an addict, and realize that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Come to the cross if you're depressed and struggling with anxiety, and understand that in his presence is fullness of joy. Come to the cross if you're a self-harmer, And understand that by his wounds, your wounds are healed. Come to the cross if you've totally messed everything up so far. And realize that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And maybe most importantly, and finally, come to the cross all you who have been abused. Come to the cross all you who have been abused. And recognize and realize and understand that there is now neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation that can separate you, 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 from the love of God that is in and only in Christ Jesus.